If, um, <clears throat> if you're new here visiting this morning, uh, normally these roles are reversed, uh, but I get to be here this morning and delighted to do so. If you're not new and you're a regular, uh, you might know that I was not here at all last week, and I want to tell you about that briefly uh, before we turn our gaze to uh, the Epistle of Jude. It was printed in uh, your bulletin last week, uh, a short little article explaining um, my absence last week. That same article, by the way, is running in another church newsletter this very day. It's a church in Asheville, North Carolina explaining to them and to you and here for a moment uh, this, this notion that uh, this church that you've stepped into today or a part of by life and commitment is, is one of many. It's one expression of the body of Christ. And in the circles that we live in as a Presbyterian church, uh, we understand that to be a part of a church is to be a part of something much broader and bigger than the assembly that we call Cornerstone here. Uh, we call it the Connectional Church. There's a church in Asheville, North Carolina, that right now is going through some, some tough waters. Uh, they're between pastors, the circumstances are unusual, and uh, the needs are many. And um, what has happened is a little arrangement has worked out where for a little while, a number of months that uh, I'm going to be serving two churches in various ways that really do serve two. So the plan is um, that we extend this uh, for a few months where I'm going to be spending some time in Asheville with a church in some, in some needs, um, but lodged right here with you. So um, that, how that plays out, we'll watch as it goes forward. Most, uh, most, almost every Sunday I'll be right here uh, with you as normal, but it's a church that um, is delighted to know that there's a church uh, whose leadership, by the way, was very eager to serve. Uh, your leadership here uh, pounced on, on this idea of partnering and, and collaborating with a church uh, a state away. So it's a little tricky, but um, the Lord willing, it's a plan that we think uh, can work for a bit and certainly invite your prayers uh, as we go forward, and I will keep you in the loop about that. But they want to pray for Cornerstone as we are praying uh, for this church. Grace Community Church in Asheville, North Carolina sends their greetings, and uh, I will be back with them approximately one week a month for the next several months. Uh, so stay tuned and uh, pray with me for them. Um, we come to a passage today as um, if you've been here for a little bit, working our way through one of the shortest books of the Bible, and today we come to the end of that. Two verses, as Nate has mentioned, that might be somewhat familiar to some of you at least, but um, that's where we're going to camp out uh, for the next few moments here. Hear these words from Jude chapter, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. 
Amen. Father, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Lord, we do ask you to be with us and to teach us today. Help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may truly understand and understanding that we may believe and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, In 1981, Mary Lynn and I were newlyweds. I entered seminary with no intention of being a pastor. And the American rock band Journey released its all-time great hit, Don't Stop Believing." They had quite a record uh, of their own uh, uh, that took took a meteoric leap with that album, that song, and the four albums to follow. Um, it's a song that you would recognize the tune, if not be able to sing along. It's a karaoke hit, I understand. But here are some of the words. Working hard to get my fill, everybody wants a thrill. Paying anything to roll the dice just one more time. Some will win, some will lose. Some were born to sing the blues. Oh, the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. The rock band Journey, writing about a movie that never ends, that goes on and on, in 2001 released an album that they entitled Arrived. (laughs) The journey that goes on and on in 2001 arrived in some sense of the word. That was the name of their, their release. And one of the reasons that I'm not sure how they ended up with the name Journey or Arrived, but, but to label yourself Journey steps in a good direction. It steps in the right direction. It, it, what I mean is this. If you were to ponder your own life, a label and a category where your life and your story fits is Journey. Your, your life is a journey. It is a journey. We, if we didn't know that before, we may have concluded that when we either read or heard little, little snippets of, of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. There's a journey. Or part of what has captured your imagination by, with uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings is this journey that is such a captivating story that in some way spills into our life, and if we are fortunate, our life spills into it. That we begin to see that there is a journey. Jude, while he doesn't use the word, talks about a journey of sorts. A journey that starts with God at work. A journey that, that has peril a journey that requires us, according to Jude, to to stand fast in the gospel with a kind of urgency. That's a part of the journey that you are on, that we are on. A journey that calls for perseverance or finishing the race. 
And then he comes right through the front door and he says, this journey that you're on, as you think about arriving, your own arrival, you need to know that God is personally invested in your arrival, in your finishing. God does not leave you. That's what we hear in this text. God does not leave you to yourself to find your way to the finish line. And that is good news for those of us that sometimes wonder about a story that has begun, that we are in, that we are pushing ourselves into, and we can't see the finish line. We know it's there, and there is a finish, and there is an arrival, and how will that work out for us? This passage, these two verses, really become an invitation to live with the end in view. I mean, you can read those. You could come up with that. When you see what these two verses are about, it is about the end or the arrival or that finish line. And it's an invitation. It's, it's, a, it's a call for us to live with that end in view. And when we do, there's some things that happen. One is that our greatest danger is removed. Our future reception is sealed And maybe best of all, the glory of our God is unveiled. Our greatest danger is removed by this passage. What is our greatest danger? What is your greatest danger? Depends on kind of where you are in your life right now. It depends on where you are in the the story of our culture, perhaps. Depending on who you're listening to or thinking about at the moment, the greatest danger might be the economy. It might be ISIS. And those are very real issues. Your greatest danger, depending on which cable network you are tuned into, your greatest danger might be a presidential candidate. <laughs> there are dangers that lurk, and there are some, a lot of unknowns. But what I've called here your greatest danger is bigger than any of those. The greatest danger Jude alludes to when he says that there is a a reality that looms that, that can serve as a danger in your life where you lose your way to the finish line. He says that's a danger. James tells us that we stumble in many ways. And then we come to this passage where Jude tells us that your God can keep you from stumbling. We stumble in many ways, but God can keep you from stumbling. And we need to fit those together somehow. And here's how we do that. Jude says, he's just told, if you were here last week, or I think it was last week, I wasn't here, but I think it was last week when we talked about that God will keep you. He says that they are to keep themselves in the love of God. A very, very straightforward admonition. Keep yourself in the love of God. But here he uses, when he talks about God keeping, God can keep you, he uses a different word. The word earlier means watch. That we are to watch out to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to pay attention to the things that are going on in us and around us, and we watch, and we keep ourselves in the love of God, in his 
field of vision and the love of God for us and our love for God grow together when we watch and we take aim and take care about that. But the word he uses here doesn't mean watch. It means guard. And there's a difference. We must watch to stay close to the Lord, but only he can guard us so that we do not stumble. Uh, the word stumble or falling away, translated in some, in some cases, doesn't show, that word doesn't show up uh, in the New Testament anywhere else. But in other Greek literature, it means this. It can mean a horse which is sure-footed and does not stumble. Or it can mean a good man who does not make moral lapses. But Judas seems to have something else in mind when he said God can keep us from stumbling, and that is what he's just written about. Do you remember if you've been here a week or two, you, you, you would maybe remember the kind of ultimate falling away, this apostasy that some people had fallen into and, and to, to their destruction. I mean, that's the word. And so what, what Jude is talking about here is that God is able to keep you from that ultimate falling away destruction. It's not like the mountain goat who's sure-footed. It's not that God makes you nimble so that you never trip. It's that Christ is the guardian of all believers, and he preserves you. And it is only the Lord who preserves us. So our greatest danger is removed because Christ is the one who preserves Christ is the one who keeps. God can keep you from stumbling. That's the first one. God, in the gospel, our greatest danger is removed. But also, he goes on to say, with the next little phrase, he talks about another can do that God can do. He can keep you from stumbling, and he can present you blameless to God. In the tabernacle and temple worship, Israel learned this, that when a sacrifice was brought, it had to be without blemish. It had to be acceptable, pure. The reason was the very character of God demanded it. Because to come into the presence of God required blemished, free living. <laughs> and it wasn't just the ram and the bull and the goat and whatever that sacrifice was. Ultimately, they learned that it was the people themselves. And David saw this real clearly. That's why in Psalm 24 he writes, Lord, who can, who can live in your presence? Who can dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. And when we think about that for more than a moment, we realize that that means no one. No one qualifies and so this idea of arriving in his presence, this future arrival of our lives, is, is, there's a jeopardy. There's a dilemma. A dilemma that was undone by Jesus Christ's death, who died a sacrificial death, and who's described more than once as a lamb without blemish or defect. And that's why not only is our greatest danger removed, that's falling away, but, but our future reception is sealed because it's not your righteousness 
It's you come into his presence by faith, united to Christ by faith, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, welcomed into his presence. The writer of Hebrews got it. He says, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them. That's what they did in the Old Testament. There was this sprinkling that cleansed the worshiper so that they who were outwardly, so that they became outwardly clean. How much more, Hebrews tells us, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The ashes of heifers and bulls covered, in a sense, the worshiper in like manner, but in a fuller degree. The blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is what clothes you by faith. That as you step toward the one in whose presence you come by his invitation, you come not with blemish, not with defect, but you come in the perfect, righteous robes of Christ. We can dress up and we can put our best foot forward and we come up short because we come blemished and with defect. Lots of them but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We come into his presence, and that's why our future reception is sealed. Paul's put it like this. Christ presents the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Peter says, there's an inheritance kept for you, an unfading, you, you, your inheritance is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. There's an inheritance kept for you, and you are being kept for that inheritance, Paul says. And together, the gospel explodes into our deepest needs and into our future reception. It is yours by faith. Jesus was the one who said, I give them eternal life. And he had you in mind. You who are in Christ, you who are united in by faith, he had you in mind when he said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There's two ways that we're presented, that we read about Christ presenting us. One is to himself in Ephesians 5. But in Colossians 1, what we just heard in our assurance of pardon, he is the one who presents you holy and blameless and above reproach, you presenting us to God. There's this fascinating little, little account of God's work of creation described in Exodus, where it says God finished his work of creation and he rested and was refreshed. And in the same way, very similar way, Christ finished his work accomplishing redemption for you. And then he rested. And I would suggest was refreshed. A work accomplished. Mission accomplished. It's done. It's yours. It's sealed. You're 
your future reception is guaranteed and assured by the finished blood and work of Christ. One writer about this passage says, yeah, the trouble, the great trouble of the soul arises from a disbelief of God's power. Some people stumble over the fact that God can do this. Others stumble over the fact or the question of will he? Will he do what he promised? What he promised through Jeremiah when God says, I will make them an everlasting, with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. The God who called you here to worship today in whose presence we have assembled, has said, I will not turn away from doing them good to the very end and beyond. You see, this little word, God is able or God can, as it's translated, slightly downplays the magnificent power Judah is attributing to God in this verse. Because Jude is not saying that he might. Jude is saying he has done this. It is is what he has done in Christ. It's what he is up to. It's what he is doing now. He is preserving you to the finish line. Those who by faith are keeping yourselves in the love of God. And the reason that we can trust this promise is because of the one who made it. I mean, isn't that how you decide to trust anybody? If you're going to trust somebody, what do you base that on? Past, maybe the past? Have they said what they agreed to do? Who is this person? What is their character? When you ask those kinds of questions and you come into the presence of the one who said, I will never turn away. You find the kind of confident assurance that your, that your heart longs for. This is how Jude does it. He, he, he closes his letter in verse 25 with a, with a string of exhilarating words of praise which overflow into one another. And I'm not quite sure that he intends that we to analytically pull these apart and analyze each one because they, they blend together and flow together. And he seems to be echoing, Jude seems to be echoing those words of David that we heard earlier in our Old Testament reading from 1 Chronicles 29. Look at that later and see if you don't see the echo in Jude of David in 1 Chronicles 29. Glory. There's a church word. But it's a, but it's a God word. <laughs> It is how God has explained himself. It's the public, visible, and acclaimed presence of God. That's the glory of God. It's what Israel saw at Sinai with the Ten Commandments. There was this cloud in that sense, and then a pillar of fire that led them. That glory was something that they saw. It's what showed up in the tabernacle and then the temple. It finally left the temple when Israel was tossed into exile. There was no more glory in Israel until the apostles come on the scene and they describe Jesus as the one. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. There's glory for you, they write. And we will see it only when he brings us before his glorious presence forever. We will see that glory. That's the glory. His majesty is his awful transcendence. It's that, that otherness of who he is that, that it, when it's on display strikes in us something that, that is jaw-dropping. His power is his unique claim to his throne and the acts in that power when he uses his authority. And all of those things Jude, Jude lays in front of us and they are meant, friends, those words in Jude 25 are meant to trigger something. And it's not just what David wrote in 1 Chronicles 29, but it's to trigger the reality and the picture of when, as Jesus came onto the scene, the apostles described him as the one who was full of grace and truth. The writer of Hebrews says, God has spoken to us in various ways, and in Christ we see the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's who we see. We see the glory of God in the face of Christ so that his radiance was crystallized in Christ Jesus. That's that kingly, kingly aspect of how Jesus dealt with men. <clears throat> it was his control and the lordship of Jesus ordering things and calling things into being. It was his authority over men, nature, and the demonic. We see that coming onto the stage in the person of Christ. You see, that's our God. And those are his eternal qualities, unveiled in Christ. Unveiled, made clear, made visible, made plain, mysterious, personal, yours. Christ comes to us and says these promises, this danger that you face, this this presentation in the future that you wonder about, those belong to me. And you belong to me. And this journey that you're on does not come apart. It doesn't run off the tracks. Oh, you may. <laughs> you may stumble. James is right. You may stumble along the way. But there is a kind of stumbling that you will not endure because you're mine. And that's done. One commentator on this passage said that Judas' time scale is breathtaking too, for he spins us back before the creation of the universe and says that God, has, that God had this unimaginable power before all ages, is Judas' words. Before all ages, this was true. Despite the apparent godlessness of our world, he has it now. You can be encouraged right there. In spite of what we see in the world, God has that power now, and nothing will ever replace him forevermore. A.W. Tozer wrote a lot that impacted me, and one of, the, one of the things that he wrote that did was this. The most important thing about any person is what they conceive God to be like. That's my paraphrase, but it works. 
the most important thing about any person is what they conceive God to be like. And when we think of God the way Jude has unrolled that picture to us here, and we consider His glory, His majesty, dominion, and power unveiled in Jesus Christ, you know what that does? It encourages us in our service. That's who you serve if you belong to Christ and you're about his work in the world. It encourages us that that's who he is and who we are. And that's, the, that's, the, that's what stands behind what it is that we are about. It strengthens us against whatever the danger is, whatever came into your mind when I mentioned what's the greatest danger. It strengthens us in the face of that. It invites our prayers. It deepens our dependence. It excites our loves and even reshapes our loves, as, we, as you may read about in the pastoral notes today, that what God does when we come into his presence is he reshapes the things that we love, and it puts him at the center. It produces in us, in us the right kind of awe, that we're all in awe of something. We find our jaws dropping at something. And our jaws were made to drop. They were made to drop at the living God. Solomon saw that. And when, they, when he dedicated the temple, he said, Oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Jesus is at the center of that. A God who, there's none like him. The, the beauty and the character of God himself unveiled in Christ before our eyes. And it is life transforming. And for those of you looking for a story to make your own, this is it. This is the story you were made for. This is the journey that you're on, whether you know it as that or not. You're on a journey. We're all on a journey. And when we, when we find our story, our journey taking shape in this story of who God is and what he is doing in the world through Christ, then your story takes shape. And the story that you live and the journey that you're on has, has a destination. It does have an arrival, and it is a good one how this journey story ends. It was 2001 when that album was released in the United States. A year before the Journey album entitled Arrive was leaked out on the internet in Japan. And the early reviews of this musical collaboration quite what the band had hoped for. You see, their, their previous four albums had risen to the top of the Billboard charts. This one received mixed reviews. You know what they did? They went back in the studio. They went back in the studio, and they, and they cut one song, and they, and they replaced it with two. They edited the playlist. They... They went back and, and rewrote what it was that they would be known for. You never have to do that. 
you never have to edit your story. Because it was not about your pedigree, your resume, your productivity, your performance, your spirituality, your blamelessness to begin with. It was about another's. You see, the reason that this story has such a good ending, that your arrival, that your arriving is one that you can anticipate with glee and joy, is that about the righteousness of Christ that is yours. It's a journey. It's a journey with an ending. And we're not there yet but we persevere. And just yesterday on Instagram, I read this from John Piper. If you are persevering in faith today, you owe it to the blood of Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith or journey. That works too. Pray with me. Father, it is um, a story that we could not have made up. That in Christ, you have done for us what we could not do. And the great mystery of the gospel is that you have remembered your promise to send a redeemer, to rescue us from ourselves, and to give us what we need a record and a righteousness that we can never attain but only receive by faith as an instrument. We take it, we take hold of it by faith and we place our faith in you today, Christ our Lord, our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen.